GM friends, and welcome to the Metacast brought to you by Navic. In this Crypto Corner episode, we are going deep, talking about the future of gaming um, and how new technologies can shape it. I'm joined here by Justin Glibert, Glibert, who is, um, yeah, so there's two words or two um, concepts we want to talk about a few times today, mm -hmm. and that is autonomous worlds and digital physics. Yeah. And so Justin is working on autonomous worlds at Zero X Park. Um, there's, yeah, who are doing some amazing stuff. So I'll, I'll let you talk about mm. Zurich Spark, what yeah, you do there, intro, and then we can we can click from there. Yeah. So Zurich Spark is a it's a foundation that essentially funds projects that advance the plot of Ethereum and crypto in general. So what we see is that we have a bunch of efforts to make crypto go mainstream. And then the role we see for ourselves is we're the Xerox part of crypto. It's like, well, if you give a bunch of money to researchers and you tell them, build the best computer you can possibly do, which is what they did as Xerox Spark. It doesn't matter if it costs $300,000. They did it and then they were living the future. So that's the thing that was really interesting. Um, the Altar at Xerox Spark was like 300K a piece and they all had one and they all built it in house. And then while everybody else in the world was like still using IBM batch processing computer, they were sending emails to each other and playing games. And they had like an Ethernet network inside Xerox Park. So what we're doing at Xerox Park, it's like the hexadecimal prefix before Park. It's, a, it's kind of like a throwback at that, that particular institution. It's trying to do something similar where we take a limitation and we say, what happens if this limitation doesn't exist anymore? So as an example for autonomous worlds, which is this division we have where we build on-chain realities or like things that are essentially going closer and closer towards sovereign virtual worlds running with crypto technology, one of the limitations we throw away is um, scalability. So we say, well, right now, Ethereum is a million gas per second on mainnet. We have some side chains that can go to 10. Um, what's the world where you have a billion gas per second? Uh, and so we create that world. It's completely unsustainable. Those chains can't run forever. They can only run for a couple of months. We need to run them on crazy computers. But then when we like throw away all those like limitations, we say, okay, now that we live in the future, what can we build for this? Mm -hmm. um, and we have another big branch that does zero knowledge stuff. And the limitation with zero knowledge is like the developer tools are suck. Um, like essentially, Personal computers are like not that great when it comes to proving ZK proofs, which you want to because you want to prove the proof yourself to keep like the privacy. Rollups don't need that because they use ZK for uh, scalability, but we want to use ZK for privacy. So if you use ZK for privacy, you need to run the computation on your own computer. And right now it's really bad. So that's like one of the limitations we say, well, let's throw it away. Or if we don't throw it away, let's at least work on it to start removing it progressively. And so the ZK team has made like quite a lot of significant contribution to the field in the last six months. And we're finally at a stage where, I mean, we can talk about it later, maybe after we, we talk about um, some of the autonomous world stuff, but there are like crazy use cases that are possible now because a bunch of people from Zurich Park said, okay, let's just like find obvious limitation and just destroy it mm -hmm. in six months. Um, and what we do with Zurich Spark, like quite practically is we find those people, we put them together and we fund them but it's not an investment, it's just we give grants. Hmm. And then the people that fund us are the Ethereum Foundation, Gitcoin, um, Gnosis, a bunch of other people that are said, okay, like here's some money, no strings attached, use that to like advance the plot. Um, and every time we do crazier projects, we have a greater um, like bargaining power with those institutions. So, well, here's what you gave us last time, here's what we did. Now can we have more money because we want to expand our operations and do even crazier stuff? That's roughly kind of like the model of Xerox Park. Um, why does that not work with like for profit? Yeah. So the thing that is tricky with for profit is that it does 
Okay, so one mental model I have for like nonprofit, for-profit, um, equity investment versus grants is that as soon as you say, okay, I'm raising equity money or like I am building a for-profit company, you essentially put a ceiling, a cap on how interesting your project can be because your constraint just got thicker. Like you're in a space where you need to maximize shareholder revenue and then you need to make money. So you're already operating in a space that has constraints. And for a lot of the stuff we do, it seems like we need to not be in that space. But, and this is to go back to what you're saying, as of now, Zorax Park is not like sustainable yet because it's just like injection of money from third parties and then we reinvest this. What we're going towards is essentially a model where some teams at Zorax Park use the technology that has been built by other people to capture value and redistribute this within the ecosystem, within the Zorax Park conspiracy, basically. Um, because it's it's the theory of the firm that says like a thin amount of people capture all the value in a company and then a huge iceberg of value creation is there. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an unbundling, which is what happens with crypto right now, or like big teams are separated into much smaller teams, you're never going to get the Google of crypto. Like the Google of crypto, like people like Dapper Lab is trying to do this, build a huge company, build games, build blockchain, stuff like that. It works, but they don't get all the, like the pros of the unbundling. So right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of team moving way faster because they're unbundling. But the problem right now with crypto is every team is trying to make money because they all need to be sustainable. But if you don't have to do that, if you don't have to make money because you're part of this ecosystem where you know that like you choose co-founders, like dependencies as co-founders. Like what I'm saying is like, what you know how you create a company, you do like 50-50 between two co-founders. What if one of the co-founder is your dependencies? You say, okay, I'm like starting this company. It's like a ZK wallet and it's like you and I, and our third co-founder is open source. So we give 33% of our like revenue and equity to like back to a co-op that redistributes. That's the model. And so far, this has allowed us to put some like super smart people in like writing a piece of math that is gonna be open source, that if they had been in a startup, nobody would have funded it to do them because it was hard and it took a long time. But now that it's there, we're like, okay, we have this technology, who do we give it to to make money from? Or like to build on top, basically. So for the moment, you're still funded by grants, yeah. but over time, you expect the tools that you're building right now to be used right. by companies or protocols that actually generate revenue. Yes. And then you will use, you know, blockchain technology to in a very granular way distribute back some of that value yeah. to everyone that participated in building yeah. those tools. I mean, the redistribution part can be done with blockchain technologies, but like the thing that matters the most is like the trust. Basically, like people are there and they know that they will be rewarded for what they're doing uh, because there's like this like dependencies as co-founder model. I think that ultimately it is unlikely as of now that techno like external companies that don't get it are going to use our tools. I think what's, what's going to happen is we're going to spin off revenue generating products. Yep. Um, and that seems like it's actually happening faster than we thought it would happen because we already have like this like latent value creation that has been built upon. And now we just need a spark to like burn, like ignite it and start like making money rain basically. <laughs> so like be like, well, we created all this value. Now, uh, how do we capture some of it and redistribute it and grow bigger? Basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You said earlier that you're, you know, taking away limitations from the real world that yeah. are in the real world still there. Yeah, right? it's still there. How, how are you spinning out stuff from that? So when we take limitations out, um, it's like, so you have like a pipeline of like things that are like really in the future. And we start researching now because we expect that those limitations will not be there in like two, three years. Mm -hmm. And there are things that go really close towards like, okay. It was just us seeing a wave coming before other people. We, we did the work and now that the limitations are gone, we can push onto it. So the limitation we were talking about, which is like this gas per second stuff, which is really important for virtual worlds. Um, 
people are like so like are such a scarcity mindset when it comes to block space right now that people are like like so many like brain cycles and are spent on like solidity optimization right mm -hmm. so it's always going to be important but we think that while removing those limitations we actually discovered ways to make them actually go away in the real world. Mm. So so because we allowed ourselves to think it was possible. Like if you're stuck in this idea that no, Ethereum will always be slow, at least mainnet, and it's gonna be like there forever, you can't even start thinking about how to remove that. Whereas for us, we just like threw it away. And by throwing it away, by throwing away the limitation, we start discovering, ah, okay, if you like make this like light trade-off, you can get it. Or like if you like say, well, instead of running a chain forever, we only run it for six months, then you can make it work as well. And also by doing this, we actually find the limitations at the level of physics. We're like, okay, what is the ultimate speed of Ethereum with the current software? If you have no limitations. Well, we figured it out. It's like 120 times faster than mainnet. But like not many people know that because we just had to push it. That's what a research lab does. Um, and it's really interesting because the way I think about it is kind of like a map. So Xerox Park is like a better map of the territory than most people because most people stay in like the little like center of the forest where there's like a village and stuff like that. And sometimes they go out a bit in the wood and like, ooh, 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 like we don't know if we can do this. And then they come back and they build products in the village. And what we did is we just like, we sent a bunch of people with torches all around and we found like this, the, the, like the actual layer around the forest where it stops. And so we actually know the trade-off space much better than other people, which is kind of interesting. But to do this, like you really need to not have to care about product market fit at the beginning, because if you care about product market fit, then you can't do the exploration. Um, that's fascinating. I feel like you're describing your work within the, the, the blockchain space and within the Ethereum space. And I feel like parallels can be drawn within the gaming space mm. where, you know, we, we face in, in blockchain gaming, we face a lot of backlash from traditional um, game developers um, that use old paradigms to look at new technologies. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, I think, where, where we see a lot of these conflicts. Let's talk about uh, autonomous worlds. I'm curious. Uh, yeah. what, what does that mean to you? Yeah. Yeah, so um, we I, we quite deliberately did not name this division and like what I spend most of my time on gaming because um, every if, if you were to call this gaming, essentially you kind of like prime people that is like, like you see gaming and they already have like a preconceived idea of what this means. And if you try to stretch that boundary, it's a lot of work because they already have this like mental model that's there. Whereas if you make some shit up like autonomous worlds, like there's a free space in their brain but there's nothing that has been created around it. and 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 it's, it's quite deliberately two words, so autonomous and worlds. And both of them are kind of orthogonal to each other. You could do research in one and research in the other. But what we think is when you bring them together, it's more than the sum of their parts. It's like there's a symbiosis from this idea. So let's let's first talk about autonomy. So autonomous here means um, if you build a world, so a virtual world um, or a game, right? Like we can talk about Darkfest later, which is a non-chain game. We, I don't think Darkfest is a world, but it's a game, mm -hmm. but it's an autonomous game. And so what this means is like the game runs on autonomous computation. You can also call that sovereign computation. So one way to think about Ethereum, which is, and I'm, this is a big alpha leak. Uh, one way to think about Ethereum is that it is a token with a computer to make smart money. The way we think about Ethereum, it is a computer with a token. So it is first and foremost a computer and the token just makes the computer work at scale and it creates the economic incentives to make it alive. Most people think like Ethereum is just smart money. Like the fact that it's called smart contract has been the biggest like misconception ever because it's like, oh, it's like we have money, we have like some form of tender and then we can program it. Mm. But if you see it as a computer with a token, what it actually means is that it's a computer that one lives forever or for as long as the last Ethereum that will run for. Mm -hmm. Two, it is a computer that everybody can use. 
It is one of the most open and fair computer in the world. It's really slow. It's an Apple II right now. We want to go from Apple II to Pentium, but that's a different conversation. It's an Apple II. It's really slow, but it's really fair and open. And third, the thing that is really interesting is this computer, like if you have a program that runs on this computer, this program ha can have one property that no other programs in the world can have unless they run on this computer. And it's being adminless. So what this means by that is like, Today, we have like supercomputers with cloud services and stuff like that. But in the end, someone can still come and unplug them. So like the computers today, regardless of how powerful they are, they always need their daddies. Um, the thing that is really interesting with Ethereum is that the network makes a credible claim that if a program does not have a function that like lets an admin or someone permission to shut it down, it will actually be around almost forever. And that's what we mean by autonomy. Like, I mean, people who watch this might be familiar with um, wrapped ETH, which is this little contract that takes ETH and wrap it into ERC-20. The crazy thing with wrapped ETH is you could not do that without Ethereum. Wrapped ETH doesn't have an admin. Nobody can stop wrapped ETH. Wrapped ETH is like, like I mean, it's a really simple program, but it's a really simple program that nobody can stop. Um, so the interesting idea is so like, uh, if we think about it this way, can we push the concept further? Like, could we have a like very simple, I don't know, strategic game that can't be stopped? Can we have a little, like a really simple world with some physics and some like resources that can't be stopped? And that actually, in my opinion, makes some, like it, it, it gives something that so far has always been created through, um, trust and legitimacy. So as an example, let's say you're playing Ultima Online. Um, you believe in the, in the world of Ultima Online because I don't remember how the company was called, was keeping it alive. But in the day where they stop keeping being alive, the entire hallucination stops. Like, oh my God, yes, we were believing this world and we're putting like, our time and our investment to like make this reality ours. But at some point, like, the, like it just shuts down. They run out of money, whatever. But here, the thing that is interesting is you don't need to build the trust like Blizzard did to make, say, hey, we're going to run World of Warcraft forever. No, as soon as you deploy a program on Ethereum and you don't add an admin function, everybody can see, oh, it's going to live forever. Even if this has been deployed by like a six years old or like a 12 years old kid that has no reputation in the internet, it doesn't matter because the world is going to stay alive. So that's the autonomy part. It's like, Essentially, one way you can think about it, if you think about it in terms of economics, is you pay this Apple II computer to keep your world alive. Like what this Apple II computer is, like this, what this world computer is selling you is like autonomy. So you pay for autonomy. So that's the autonomous part. The world part is this idea that, and we can, there's like, there's a galaxy brain version of this idea that it's like, would take a long time to talk about. Okay. And there's like a smooth brain version of this idea. We can okay. talk about the smooth brain first. Yeah. But the smooth brain ver version of this idea is that, um, one thing we discovered while working on Dark Forest is that if you make a game today, um, there's this notion of like a magic circle. So like the magic circle is essentially if you're inside a magic circle, you're playful. And if you're outside, you're not playful. So most game companies need to design everything inside the magic circle, like the forums, the markets, the game itself, the user interface, and they give like this whole, this package that costs millions of dollars to someone and be like, hey, here's like a ready magic circle for you. The thing that is interesting if you design your game, not, and you don't make a player promise. You don't think about, oh, the player will experience this. Instead, you create a set of rules that is like fair and emergent and like, um, essentially like can be built upon. The magic circle is created by the players. So what happened with Dark Forest is we say, okay, here are a bunch of rules. Um, and we put it on this Ethereum network. Um, and we didn't draw a magic circle on the ground. We never said, okay, I'll, if you click log in on Dark Forest, now you're playing and you have like a different name and here's the interface we give you and here in the marketplace. But if you're like not logged in, you can be like your real you. 
The players created the magic circle. What this means is there were tons of behaviors that were never planned. People started selling maps to each other. People started creating like marketplaces. People started like creating guilds that have smart contract players. And people started creating like different clients and change the art and stuff like that. And again, because Dark Force is just a set of rules. Everything else is defined by other people. And so it's this shift in design mindset where if you're a game designer, you've been used to creating an entire package up to the song you hear if someone farts in GTA 5. This is like what you have to design. What we're doing when, and what other people, we expect other people to do is when the design world is, is, is that they think about rules of physics and by, we can talk about the physics part later, but mm -hmm. like they, they think about rules that are fair and emergent and create an interesting reality. And then they give this reality to this computer to make it autonomous. And they say, well, we made a gift to the world. Now you can, if you think this reality is interesting, you can go do stuff there and players will define themselves what the magic circle is. And we saw some of that with loot, but loot was like, loot was, players did draw the magic circle themselves instead of Dom, but loot was always like a list of numbers and it was, it went really far. And what we think is like, okay, if loot is a list of numbers, what does it mean if like on top of having a list of numbers with embodiment, physics, violence, um, all those like concepts that make this reality very rich and interesting. Um, so yeah, that's what we mean by autonomous wars. Like the autonomy part is running on sovereign compute, which is why we work on like on-chain games. This is kind of like something that people talked about. And the word part is like, how do we move from video games to worlds? How do we move from video games to realities, basically? Um, so it's less about designing a specific experience for the player. Like if you design a world, you probably won't have achievements. Like, like, let's say you're like a design. Imagine if God created this reality and added achievements. That would be stupid. What God did is just like, here are some cool rules and then they'll figure it out the rest. Um, one way to think about it is we create Switzerland and then you can come and like draw a soccer field and play soccer with your friends uh, and that the player can do that. But when they leave the soccer field, they're still in Switzerland. And, and the thing that is really interesting is if there's a soccer field and if there is a volleyball field, the people playing soccer on the soccer field can throw a ball on the face of someone playing volleyball and they don't have to like go through agreements or have standards or whatever, or like transfer their NFT from one world to another. It's still in all in the same world with the same physics, if that makes sense. Um, so what we expect is if we build those realities, if we build those worlds, people will build games on top. But first and foremost, we have to build like an interesting reality that can host those experiences physically. Are you sure that was a smooth brain version? That was really interesting. Fascinating. Um, what would be, is it fair to characterize this in the direction of a sort of decentralized Minecraft where, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have a bunch of physics and yeah. you have a bunch of rules and people can do whatever they want yeah. within that world. I guess it goes further than that. Yeah. But is that a, a way to start thinking? Yeah. It's, it's a good way to start thinking. I think so. One way we can think about it is you have an axis for, for, for games is that there's content and there's rules. So we can give some examples of like things on that spectrum. So like we can build a mental model of it. So chess is all rules, no content. It actually leaves the content part to the app. You can play chess on nichess.com and have some pieces, or you can play chess in an Unreal Engine 5 engine with like beautiful 3D pieces, but you still play chess because chess is all rules, no content. Um, you have some games that are all content, no rules. I mean, they always have some rules, but they're mostly like Cyberpunk 2077 is all content. Like if you were to play Cyberpunk with like all 3D models turned off and no quests, like it would not be cool. Like you're just playing some from like weary, weird simulation of the world, right? Um, and so, Minecraft is in the middle. There's still a lot of content, uh, but there's a lot of rules. So one problem with Minecraft is that, as an example, let's say you want a new block. Um, adding a new block always needs a god or a game designer to see to make this block canonical. Because 
the blocks the blocks are coded in java if you want to put a block in minecraft that says like oh this block keeps growing infinitely over time you could and it would fit in the physics mm -hmm. so what you want is you want to take minecraft and you want to go closer and closer and closer to um have you heard of like conway's game of life it's like a seller automata yeah so conway's game of life is all rules no content it's unplayable but i think that is really interesting with conway's game of life is i can build a computer in conway's game of life you can build a train you train it smash into my computer break it in half it's still business as usual the game is working in minecraft there is no way to do that you, I, in minecraft like every single object has been designed by a game designer and then they fit together so one way to think about it is that the physics of minecraft is it's too much it's not the action the things don't play well together there is no form of like cohesion amongst the blocks it's like almost a miracle that it works together basically whereas this reality um we have this microphone that we're using but if like i smash it hard enough i can break it and in minecraft this would not happen it's like someone would have to code that rule basically um so you want to take something on minecraft but go closer towards the physics yes and another reason for this and that's like very familiar to people that are like into the idea of crypto is that we need laws of conservation and another way that, like another word that people used to talk about laws of conservation is scarcity. So um, in Conway's Game of Life, you can build space viruses. You can build a machine that grows bigger over time and take over the entire world. That's really bad because that means like a single bad agent can snap their finger and destroy everything. So what you need is you need conservation of energy, conservation of momentum, and all of those things to work basically, to make the word work. Um, another way to think about this is that in this world, all of us can be powerful. Like we can build things, we can, I can like, go and like build a house somewhere and I can do it myself. And I don't need to ask God, hey, is this house available in the marketplace? No, I just, I just build my fucking house. But we can all live together and coexist because I can't snap my finger and like destroy all of like, I don't know, the African continent right now. It would take me a long time and I would have to like spend a bunch of money and energy onto this. Mm -hmm. So we have all those checks and balances that makes a bunch of agents live together. Whereas right now on a computer, it's not possible. Like if you don't have like an operating system, which is kind of like God, Operating system here would be like Zuckerberg's metaverse that like dictates who can do what. Um, if you have an operating system, a program can just wipe the memory of another program. Like there is no rules of physics that like dictates that confrontation essentially. Um, and blockchain is similar right now. Blockchain has like total property law. If I have some ETH, you can't take them away from me. Unless like you go outside the magic circle and you take a wrench and you beat the shit out of me till I give you my keys. But within the rules of the system itself, you can't take them away from me. And we actually think that it's like too libertarian to create realities. Because in a reality like this, the reason why it's interesting is because there are always overrides. We have a geopolitical drama here, like a geopolitical backdrop of drama that like changes our life and makes things change. Because ultimately, even if you have nation states, even if you have all of this, what do you have violence? Violence is always there and makes things change. This is actually a solution to the land problem. If you sell land in a metaverse or like, a, like in video games and you own it forever, then it's actually completely unrealistic because there's no way to impose your will onto someone else. And then you start having those like rent-seeking behaviors where someone that is almost like being God, like I have this piece of land, nobody can take it away from me and I can rent it forever. Whereas if you have a place, like a world on the internet where there is violence, if enough people shows up with pickaxes, they take your land and that's over. And that's really interesting because what is violence? Violence is social coordination. So you create a world where like you go from libertarian to Marxist. Because the Marxist vision of the world is that private property is a steal, it doesn't exist. And what actually matters is social coordination. So what we do is we want to go towards like essentially building those worlds that are very programmable where you can deploy games and whatever and experience, even DeFi apps inside. But at the core, it's not libertarian, it's Marxist. If people show up at the Uniswap pools and burn everything and take the tokens, they can. Um, and we think that it's going to, one, be really fun. And two, it's going to lead towards like way more interesting cyberspace on the internet. Uh, we're like much richer 
relationships will be created and much richer like drama will be created there, basically. That's fascinating. So if I understand you correctly, the world we live in has some sort of very fundamental yeah. first principles physics. Yes, which it allows all of this, basically. Exactly, which, I mean, it the world is balanced mm -hmm. by the physics in which it yes, exists. Exactly, and yeah. so what you're saying is we want to recreate similar physics. It doesn't have to be the same, but it needs to have the same properties, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't want people to do to create infinitely. Exactly. You want to limit the, all of these things to yeah. make it balanced. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in the end, our world is almost endlessly creative. Yes, yes. You can't move in all axes, like we can't fly. These are things that you would be able to... to uh, I mean, you can uh, fly through a plane. That's true. So that's the thing that is You make it yourself. You yes. can make it yourself. Yes. Given gravity and you have to be... Adapted. Given the limitations, exactly. Yes. That's fascinating. Okay. Now, um, I'm assuming, you know, what we're talking about is still a ways out. Oh, yeah. What are the next steps <laughs> on your journey? Where are you, like, what are you yeah. building right now? What are you building mm. next? And how should we think about that? So... Remember how we have like autonomous and world. Right now we're working on the autonomy part. So what we're gonna go towards is like autonomous games, not words yet. We're working on autonomous mm -hmm. games. So the design problem of turning games into worlds is really hard and it takes a long time. And we have like some research that is being done onto this, but we don't think it's gonna be ready until like maybe one, two, three years. So right now we're working on the autonomy part. Um, and what we're trying to do is if you've seen Dark Forest, it's like, oh, we can do 2000 players max at the same time. The rules are really simple, it's really slow. Um, the production quality of the game is not that high, but that's actually not a problem with the blockchain. We could have made like an Unreal Engine 5 client for Dark Forest, you know, because <laughs> it doesn't actually, it's back in front end, yeah. right? Um, so what we're trying to do is we're trying to like, essentially go closer towards this one billion gas per second value I gave you, uh, and also like build an on-chain game engine. Uh, it's called MUD, we've been working on it for the last nine months. One way to think about Dark Forest is it was made like Wolfenstein 3D. It's like we had a bunch of drawn Carmax in a room and they were like, oh my God, we have to make this thing happen, but we're going to write super optimized tight code just for this one specific game. And there's no way to change it. Like it's really hard to change that for us. What we built is we built some form of like game engine, like Unity, but it doesn't do rendering and stuff like that because that's a client thing. It just focuses on like building blocks for a game that runs on chain. And this thing is called MUD. Uh, we're working on like some form of temporary chain or temporary rollup we can run MUD on. And so with those two pieces of technology together, we think we can build games like Civilization One with smart contracts and programmability with like 50,000 players. And we just, we're gonna let this world run for like six months and people will be able to deploy Uniswap pools inside. People will be able to create contracts. People will be able to create war bonds. You can have, um, what's the bank in Game of Thrones that finances wars? Um, the golden something? Yeah, you can have that. You can have a smart contract that says, I borrow money from that bank to be able to like wage war against those people and they'll give you part of the revenue. Like all of this can be done. And because it's all on chain, it's really easy. You mm -hmm. just keep deploying smart contracts. So we, we, that's the kind of stuff we're targeting as of now. And like for the next like six months, it's probably gonna just, there will be something out. And then when this autonomy part is, we're going towards the right direction, we're gonna start working on the world part in parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's basically two different research agendas that are meant to converge at some point. Okay. Um, yeah, that's really fascinating. So can you talk me through the difference between, you know, what happens on the chain and the clients? Mm -hmm. how, how do you see that work? How should people think about that? And yeah. how do you see that evolve over time? Yeah. So um, one way to think about it is the chess example. The thing that happens on the, chat, on the chain is the rules of chess. The things that happen on the client is everything else. So if you want to have like a, if you want to play chess, but you want to visualize your chess game in VR with like an Unreal Engine 5 client, you can do that. Uh, and that, that's like we, like the client runs on really fast computers, right? So they can do that. But then ultimately the rules of chess, we need to be on chain. Um, 
Also, any kind of little program that needs to run and be synchronous and like, like, like be synchronized with everything else in the world, as an example, like a war bond, uh, that we need to run on the chain as well. So it's, it's really a separation between how can we think about it? So in this reality, you can think of this body as your client. Like it processes reality for you, like your eyes and then your senses turns this into something you can like, fit, like you can, you can appreciate mm -hmm. and you can live in. Uh, your organs makes it easy for you to do something. Like if I grab this glass, it's really easy for me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to like think about every single little movement of my muscles that I need to do to grab this. Like this client makes it easy for me. And then the physics of this world would run on the chain. Basically. So what we're doing is we're creating a, a robot for players to play in. Like, like your flesh body is basically a robot that has been given to you to like be able to be here, right? So one other way to think about it is like when you send an email on the internet, you don't craft the TCP IP packet by hand. Gmail does it for you, mm -hmm. and then it sends a TCP IP packet. So it's like the separation between what is strictly necessary for things to work together and be fair, and then everything else will put on the client. Um, but what is really important is we shouldn't trust anything from the client. Because the it's like classic MMO development. You don't trust the client. The client can be changed by the users. Mm -hmm. Also, the thing that is interesting with not making the client an important part of this, or at least it is important, but it's not like the most important thing, is that machines can participate. I think that it's too chauvinistic to say, oh, if we create virtual worlds, only humans would be able to be there. I think machines should be able to go there as well and interact there. So this, is, this also actually requires different design principles. A lot of games today rely on the principle that um, only players play. And then you have all those like capture mechanism and anti-botting and stuff like that because the games are not interesting anymore. So how do you create realities where if machines participate, it's still interesting? So one we think about is the internet is interesting even if machines are participating. Actually, it makes it more fun that we have like weird Dali 2 pictures on Twitter and stuff like that. So one way to think about this is maybe we will have to go away from antagonistic designs where games are always like non-cooperative. And maybe we have to go towards like positive some worlds where essentially machines being there makes it more interesting. That might be something that we'll have to happen at some point. But I think that the battle against keeping the machines out of our worlds is going to be lost. Mm. There is, we just can't, it's too hard basically. Yeah. Don't you think there will be a proof of humanity? Possible, yeah. So if there is one that is good enough, then it's really easy to just slap this on top of the world and say, okay, only yeah. humans can play. Um, another way to do this is, have you played Diplomacy? It's like a board game. No. So Diplomacy is really simple. The rules are really simple, but it's all social coordination. So you basically have to convince people to do things with you. Mm -hmm. So machines can't really play Diplomacy. Mm. Machines can beat the shit out of you at chefs, but they can't play Diplomacy. Or at least if they were to be able to play diplomacy, like it would, that would mean like strong AI is basically solved. Um, maybe we'll get there at some point, but as of now, it's not the case. So it's kind of interesting that like it forces you to go towards designs that are mostly about human coordination, essentially. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. When I think about the future virtual worlds that you're saying, you know, might exist mm. in a decent or decentralized com computer. You know, I'm thinking of yeah, high fidelity, lots of computation happening yeah. um, in the style of, you know, ready player one. Yeah. Now, what we've noticing is that what we've been noticing over the past years is that, you know, the computation power starts reaching the limits of, you know, like the, the, the world, the real world physics, mm. right? Because of you know, temperature and the speed of yep. light, you know, the, the, the amount of computation that's happening um, is just getting lit. Right? Yes. Um, how do you see that evolve? And, mm. you know, does your vision of this decentralized, these, uh, these autonomous worlds, will they be able to handle like these, these ma massive yeah. scale virtual um, yeah. experiences? So there are two ways to answer the question. The first one is you can make it hierarchical. So what this means is, um, so, Here's an example. 
international remittance, so transferring monies internationally, is actually really slow. It takes banks like multiple days to send the money across. But the reason why when I send you money, it's instantaneous. It's because banks like maintain checks and balances across multiple countries and they start incurring debts and then they settle this. Like actually credit card state, like credit card bills are settled once a week, but it seems instantaneous to you. So one way we could have this like ready player one thing is that this physics layer is the neutral coordination layer between multiple big uh, projects. So as example, if you, and I hope we're not going to get there, but we have the Facebook metaverse, the Google metaverse, the Unreal Engine metaverse, if we have like some like indie stuff, there would be this neutral layer that they accept to take part in because it's not controlled by anyone. Because if it's controlled by, say, Roblox, all of them would build their own one. So this is why it's important that it's neutral. So let's say you have this like neutral physics layer. Um, it doesn't have to be really fast because maybe it dictates things at such a huge scale that players don't really interact with them, right? So that's a possibility. You make it hierarchical, basically. And in the end, like, well, when I built my house, maybe it's batched into one physics update at the end of the day and they're all processed together. But till it's like roll-ups, like till the end of the day. Well, if, if the Chinese army shows up and like destroy our entire continent, my, my house will be gone. But after the end of the day, it gets committed and it's like, okay, it's on this neutral physics layer. I know it's there. Okay. So we could, we could make it hierarchical. That's one possibility. But I totally agree with you. Like computation, especially the one that you can carry around with you on like a laptop, we're like, reaching like a saturation point. So this is where things are moving to the cloud where, well, we can put multiple computers together, we can cool them down industrially and stuff like that. Um, but I think I'm really hopeful about is all of that technology is to be able to satisfy client side requirements, like very high fidelity, like rendering and stuff like that. And all of this is actually completely orthogonal to the idea of like a neutral backend at the physics layer. But I agree that this is gonna be a problem at some point. Um, one thing that is really interesting though, is that we are reaching a cap of how fast we can do serial computation. So computation that like requires the previous step to be done. Um, like CPUs don't really go faster. What we can do is we can have more CPUs. So we can run things in parallel. The things that is really interesting is a lot of the games today can't run in parallel. They can run maybe on four cores or something like that because they've not been designed in such a way that things are not connected together because they're not designed in a scientific way. They're just like, there is a player promise. There is some game designer that created a document and they have to make it happen. The thing that is really interesting about physics and that's like, it's just like part of like the gigabrain kind of like thesis about this is that this universe can be computed in parallel because every single little, because of the speed of light, if I do this, I can't impact you immediately. It needs to like, with, with many, many, many playing time before this, like you can hear this thing or even mm -hmm. like see it. Mm -hmm. So right now blockchains are so because they're serial. A lot of like game servers are capping at certain amount of people because they're serial. If you make the world with really strong physics constraints, and you remove any global state, like there won't be a global, uh, like, I don't know, like ocean house. This was just not possible because you have to, the light needs to travel. If you do this, you can actually massively parallelize it. So it is actually also a solution for scaling is to go towards very strong requirements on state propagation time, and then you can make run things in parallel. So this is like an interesting insight. Actually, this doesn't, this could make things faster. This constraints of making things physical and with like some form of speed of life, some form of like energy conservation can actually make things faster. So that's also really interesting, I think. Um, so to translate it to in a way that my brain can, yeah. can grasp this, because whatever happens in Australia at this moment, yeah. only influences me after you know yeah. a fraction of a second. Yeah. It doesn't have to be computed at the same, um, at the same place. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Yes. So you would see like a um, if if we if we make these constraints location based, mm -hmm. you would see, and I would describe it as maybe like rollups that are covering the whole yes. the whole. Yeah. The, the ultimate version is every rollup is one coordinate. 
Yes. And then they have to send messages to each other and it takes time to propagate, basically. Correct. Wow. That's, so that's possible. That's possible. But then it's going to be funny because people won't have global state anymore. Yeah. Um, so, well, one interesting way to think about it is we can add many dimensions to this world. It doesn't have to be three. Yeah. So if we make it more than three, what we can do is we can all agree to put all the wires in the dimensions we don't see. Because if you want a, like a, an auction house, you're, what you'll have is you'll have a computer in like the fifth dimension that people don't see. Then you have wires coming from every single place to that computer in the fifth dimension. And then we're, we, we just make this like social agreement that while well, we build worlds and like things that players experience in the first three dimensions that we put all the systems into like four, five, and six, but of course people will go there. Yeah. And it's equivalent to like removing the tile on the ceiling and going crawling into the systems. So that's going to be really interesting as well. I don't know if we'll get there, but it's, it's, an, it's like a funny yeah. thought experiment. Yeah. It feels like, you know, and, and I think this is a discussion with, like, in general, the moment we started adding blockchain to virtual worlds and we gave people the ability to translate value or transfer value permissionlessly, yeah. you become at risk of, like, human greed and just, yeah. like, bad human behavior, mm. um, which will be easily solved if we just all agreed not to be assholes, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I guess, you know, this is something we, we might have to enforce as well. And in the end, like, we'll have to design your virtual worlds, your autonomous worlds in such a way that, you know, there will be bad actors. Yes. And they're just... But because there's persons. violence, it's okay. <laughs> no, but it's, it's really important. This notion of, it seems like, okay, also, this is another, another part of the Gigabrain version of this. Okay. Wow. If you have a physics layer that is neutral, that, were, that is transparent and people believe in, and that is like, okay, like the rules are fair. One could imagine violence moving from this world to that world. Because here's what's going on. If you really are like a cypherpunk crypto believer, you believe that a lot of value is moving towards cyberspace. So what is like war is just a way for like different parties that disagree fundamentally on things to essentially impose their will onto another. If most of the value is in cyberspace and that value is in a world where there is violence, you could imagine war moving there. And so, it would still have like massive economic downstream effects. Like people would suffer from this, but the like grudgy violence of like soldiers dying on the battlefield might go away. And this is kind of interesting. Like if the violence is good enough and if the physics is good enough in services, we could imagine moving it there and resolution could happen there. But this is why this requires like a, the, the most neutral system possible because who would like wage their war on the Facebook metaverse? Like the Chinese would be, fuck you. Like we're not going to use this. Um, so this is why it needs to be neutral. Yes, there, there's, there should be like a single sort of source of truth, yeah. but not necessarily a single source of ethic, ethics. I guess. Yes, yes, exactly. Because you know our Western values might not, yeah. they, they don't resonate with with people in, in other. And uh, libertarian uh, values are very Western. Like yes. ultimate private property is not a an axiom of the universe. Like mm. people made it up, and mm. they said we believe in this. And so right now, the blockchain, like essentially, like like as as they are designed today. Private property is like such a strong thing that you can't take away from people, right? It's like the feature that you need to have. Yes. We don't even think about it anymore. Yes. But if we want something that is truly global, what is the thing we all agreed upon as humans? It's physics. Everything else we fight over. But if someone falls from a mountain and they die, you're going to have like people protesting about like not having like suicide hotline and stuff like that. But nobody's going to protest against the physics. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to go in the street and say, well, we've got to change the constant of gravity because Physics has the most amount of legitimacy in this world. It's the thing that like everybody agrees upon. So I think that if we want to build like virtual worlds and cyberspace and whatever, we'll need to put physics in cyberspace. Yes. Wow. That's um yeah, man, this 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 is this is big. It feels like um we're speed running um <laughs> the, the, the creation of, of a human society. Mm. Um and it feels like this virtual world is also gonna be like a very 
like a good place for experimentation. Yes, around, yes, yes. Like how to organize society. Society, sociology. Yeah, there's going to be so much experiments there if it if it if it if it's created if people believe in it. What what needs to happen is people need to believe that this is not just like like a little thing that's going to go away. It's going to stay there for a long time, mm. and so then people will invest things into it: time, money, research. Yes. All right. It is. I mean, yeah. I feel like you know, if if people made it until now, yeah, they are going to need some time to digest everything that they've heard. Uh, yeah. And I feel like we we might have to do like a series on the globe, like the big brain version of what yeah. you described, because yeah. there's there's a, there's a lot to say. This is this was really fascinating. Well, um, Justin, this this was amazing. I mean, I've I've talked to you a few times. Every time I've uh, I've been blown away, and um, this time was no different. And I hope yeah, listeners also enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I think that this rounds up this episode. Um, so we at Navic recently did a breakdown of Dark Forest specifically. Um, it doesn't talk about you know what we discussed uh, by the end now. Um, you know, do check that out. And um, yeah, stay tuned for other episodes. Justin, thanks, thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for joining. It was amazing. And uh, listener, thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you in the next episode. Ciao. Cheers.